Well, I do want to say thank you very much to the choir this morning for leading us in that wonderful message in song. Aren't you grateful for God's love today in your life? Amen. You know, when they sang that song this morning in the early worship service, I was thinking about how God woos us with his love and his grace. And that is so true of who God is. I don't know if you've ever read the verse of Scripture, Romans, the fifth chapter and the eighth verse. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture in all of God's word. But God demonstrated his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the greatest picture of love that has ever been drawn is the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in challenging circumstances in life. Uh, I know that I have. If you haven't found yourself in challenging circumstances in life, just hang on. I promise you that they are coming at some point in time. It's hard to escape this world without going through challenges, trials, and tribulations. But what I've come to understand in that, in the midst of those challenging times, it is very easy for us to question how much God loves us. Isn't that so true? In, in the midst of difficult challenges and times in our life, it's easy to cry out to God and say, God, where are you? God, do you really truly love me? I'm reminded of the words of a man who said, if you ever want to question how much God loves you, just look at the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ screams that God loves us. Uh, and I, I need to say this while I'm at it. If you are children, you need to go to treehouse. Thank you, Sarah and Kezia, as they were patiently waiting in the back for me to finish. And they were parading children back and forth in front of the door like a reminder. Brother Jeff, uh, you're forgetting something this morning. I need a lot of reminders like that. I'll tell you that. There's times that I forget many things. I thought earlier someone was playing a trick on me when I came into the worship service. I brought my Bible in, but I didn't bring my notebook. And so my Bible was laying on there, and I was like, okay. I was thinking bad about people. I was going through people's names in my mind. Now, has Brother Phil Hatton took my notebook? All right, and I thought about other people as well, not just Brother Phil. We worked together all week. But I was going through different names, and I was like, who in the world? And then I began to think, well, maybe my wife picked it up. And so I went over to her, but she didn't. I forgot it in the office. And so you know how that is. It's just one of those, uh, you know, days sometimes that you have in life where uh, things don't always go as you want. And it's also the fact that we had such a great week in South Texas. I tell you, it was a really, it was a privilege to be there with the church and really an opportunity for my family to get to know the church members, you know, better. And we were, we were really glad to do that, to work alongside them uh, each and every day. We enjoyed that. It was, it was such a great time. But I tell you what, I am wore out this morning. Uh, we left on Friday morning. I got up every morning about 4.30 in the morning, went to bed late every night at 10 or 10.30. That's very late for me. I know some of you think that's not very late, but it is for me. Uh, and got up early each morning, wore out, just really, really hot. Don't ever let anyone convince you, I don't care what argument they make, that 107 degrees is not hot if you're like down in South Texas because there's not the humidity. I'm telling you, 107 degrees is hot no matter where you find yourself at. Whether it's southeast Texas or it's in there or in Zambia, 107 degrees is hot. And I promise you that. 
And so we had a great time, and then we left early on Friday morning and went over to San Antonio, uh, and I did some cultural and language acquisition with a church that's getting ready to make a mission trip to Zambia, uh, one of our homes in ministry that we have grown to love. Had an opportunity to share with them, kind of jealous of them as they get ready to go there. You pray for Castle Hills Baptist Church. Uh, They have been, this is their fifth or sixth year. They have made a long-term commitment to go to Zambia year after year and share the gospel and plant churches in that nation. And so if you remind, uh, just remind yourself, please be in prayer for them. They have 12 people, 13 people that are going on that trip to share the gospel and to work with some good friends of ours, Kim and Randy Wyndham, who, can, uh, who currently live in Zambia, who are actually your missionaries or with the International Mission Board. That's all I'm going to say about that this morning, but it's very good to be back with you. I missed all of you last week, and I know that you were blessed uh, with Brother Jerry, and I'm just looking forward to what God is going to do this morning in our time of looking at God's Word because I believe that the message that God has placed upon my heart is pivotal for us as a church as we look toward the future and where God wants to lead us as Crestwood Baptist Church. I don't know if you had the opportunity to be here on May the 27th, but on May the 27th, I started a series of sermons actually about biblical leadership. We began to look in Scripture at how God defines biblical leadership. If you are not here on that Sunday morning, I want to encourage you to do something for me. I want to encourage you to go to our website, www.crestwoodbc.com, look up that sermon and listen to it. And the reason I want you to do that, it is really critical because in that sermon, we kind of laid the foundation for what we are launching ourselves into. It was just a very general message about biblical leadership. And we looked at a man's life that I believe just embodies what it means to be a leader. We talked about the life of David. You know, in God's word, God referred to David as a man after his own heart. You know, when we think about biblical leaders, that's something every biblical leader should strive for in our lives. If we are a leader in God's church, we're serving in a role of leadership somewhere, we should be striving to have a heart like God's heart. As a matter of fact, I would say that is pivotal for every believer. Isn't that true this morning? Shouldn't all of us be striving to have a heart after God's own heart? Now, I want us to understand something about biblical leadership because oftentimes I think we look at biblical leadership, we look at those people in God's church who serve in roles of leadership, and we think to ourselves and we hold them to a standard that's almost impossible for them to meet. But I want you to understand something very important this morning. Being a godly leader, a biblical leader in God's church does not mean that that person is perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect leader. At some point in time, every leader will fail in their leadership. Now, I hope, and I'm speaking for all of our leaders here at Crestwood, I would hope that would never be the intention of any of our hearts. I would hope that we would never set out intentionally to fail you as a congregation. But because of our human limitations, because our lives have been marred by sin, at some point in time, 
every one of us is going to fail in our leadership. Being a leader in God's church does not mean that you have to be perfect. If that was true, why in the world would we hold up David as a godly leader? I mean, think about it for a moment. David failed miserably, didn't he? Oh, my goodness, yes. I would hope that would be true of no leader in God's church. But I want you to understand something this morning. Every single one of us, whether we are a leader or not a leader in God's church, whether we're serving in some role that the church has designated or not designated, every single person stands in need of God's grace. I want you to hear me say that that is so key. But sometimes I think people in God's church look to people who are leaders and hold them to a different expectation as almost as though they have to be perfect to serve in that role. And that is simply not true. If that is the criteria for leadership, none of us measure up. Can I say to you this morning, there was only one perfect leader, and his name was Jesus Christ. There are no other perfect leaders. We are to model ourselves after the leadership of Christ, shouldn't we? Yes, but we're never going to achieve that standard. We should strive for it, but we're not ever going to attain it. So I think that is so important. In that very first message, I shared with you two deep convictions that I hold to about leadership in God's church. The first conviction was this. I believe the church rises and falls on leadership. The church cannot go to a place that leadership does not lead them. Leadership is key in God's church. The second conviction I hold is this. I am convinced that there's only one person's opinion that matters in leadership. And that's not your opinion. All right? And it's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. It's what God says about leadership that matters. And really what's most important is this. Jesus is the owner of the church. Only Jesus has the right to determine what leadership is and what leadership isn't and what the standard is for leadership in God's church. It's not our responsibility to make up a standard for leadership in God's church. It's simply our responsibility to go to God's word and discover the standard of leadership and then put it into practice in God's church. Isn't that true? Yes. We don't have the right to determine the standard of leadership. Only God has that right. We do have the responsibility to learn it from Scripture and to put it into place in God's church. I also challenged you on that Sunday morning to begin to pray that God would show you men who need to serve in roles of leadership here at Crestwood. And the reason I asked you to do that is I believe the future of Crestwood Baptist Church is dependent on us choosing the right men to serve in leadership roles. I believe that with all of my heart, with the deepest conviction that I have. If God is going to bless his church. Now, let me stop right there. 
I just want to make sure we're all on the same page this morning. Some of you kind of maybe are looking a little blurred there. You do realize that Crestwood Baptist Church is Jesus' church, right? It doesn't belong to you and me. You, re- you realize that, right? Amen? Can I get? Okay, I just wanted to make sure we're all together there and that we're moving in the same direction. And you know the reason that is, is Christ died for the church. I don't know anyone in this building who died for the church, but Christ died for the church. So Jesus Christ died for the church. He has the right to determine what his church is and what his church is not. He has has the right to determine what the standard of leadership is and what the standard of leadership is not. And so what we need to do is go to God's word and we need to discover that standard of leadership. We need to put it in place that God might be able to bless Crestwood Baptist Church. I believe that with all of my heart. So what I want us to do this morning, I want us to narrow our focus in the time that we have together. And I want us to really hone in on a couple of roles that I believe are so significant in the New Testament church. As I look at scripture, I believe there are two offices that we find in the New Testament church. That first office that we see is the office of pastor or bishop or elder. As a matter of fact, I would tell you each of those words are interchangeable in scripture. And perhaps nowhere is this clearer than 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles, open them there. I just want to read this passage to you so that we'll have a deeper understanding of God's word and how God has designed his church. God has structured his church in the manner in which he has so that the church will be all that God desires it to be. And in doing that, God ordained two offices in the church. The first office is the office of pastor. I want you to listen to what he says here in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 3. This is Peter's words writing to a group of Christians. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples of or being examples to the flock. So did you hear what Peter said in this passage of scripture? First, he refers to this group that he is writing to these men as elders in the church. Most likely that word elder refers to the the responsibility of the office or actually the maturity of the office of the role of pastor. What he is saying in this passage of scripture, when he uses that word elder here, he is saying the person who serves as pastor in a body of believers should be a person who is spiritually mature. I think you would agree with me on that this morning, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say that the pastor should be a spiritually mature person? Well, surely we would agree with that. He goes on in this passage of scripture and he refers to the the responsibility of the role of pastor in the church. He uses the term exercising oversight. Actually, that's where we get the word bishop. The responsibility of the pastor is to exercise oversight over the body of believers. Now, listen to me when I say this. That doesn't mean that the pastor makes all of the decisions in the church. But in leading the church in the day-to-day activities of the church, the pastor has been given the responsibility to lead in that manner, to exercise oversight over the body of believers. The last phrase that he used in this passage of Scripture, he challenges them to shepherd the flock. Actually, that's where we get the word pastor. 
The word pastor is shepherd. The pastor is an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. This refers to the function of the role of pastor in the church. What is the role of the pastor? The role of the pastor is to care for the flock, to tend to them, to encourage them, to exhort them, to walk with them in times of hurt and pain, to help them, to prop them up. That is part of the responsibility of being the pastor of a local body of believers. But now let me tell you something. There is no way that one person, one man, can do all of the things that are necessary in the church. I mean, you think about a congregation of our size where we have eight, 900 members. How is it possible for me as one individual or even me and Brother Andy and Brother Aaron to completely meet all of the needs and care for each individual person whose name is on the membership at Crestwood Baptist Church? That's impossible, isn't it? Well, the unique thing is God gave the pastoral team help. That help is called deacons. Or at least that's what it's referred to in the word of God. That is the second office that we see in Scripture. So the first office that God ordained is one office that functions in three different manners. It is the office of pastor. The second office is that of deacon. Now that word deacon uh, is found throughout Scripture. It's not just found in one place, but it simply means one who serves. That term is used in a number of places in the New Testament. It comes from the Greek verb to refer to serving. As a matter of fact, it first appears referring to a group of men in Acts, the sixth chapter. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to that passage of Scripture because in a moment we're going to be looking at a chunk of this story here about where we find this first group of men who were actually referred to as deacons. Later on, this title deacon appears in the book that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and it seems as though he uses it in a way that refers to a specific title given to a specific group of men, the title of deacon. We know that it becomes an office in the church because later on, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, the qualifications for a deacon. So we know that the role deacon is a significant role in the church. This morning in the time that we have together, I want us to consider this story here that is found in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. I think this story gives us a good starting point as we begin to think about the role of deacon in God's church. And the reason I think it gives us a good starting point is because what I have come to understand in churches oftentimes People's understanding of biblical leadership doesn't match up with God's Word. So we need to be very careful that we allow God's Word to lead us and guide us and give us clarity and understanding when we think in terms of deacons. Now, I want to start by making two clarifying statements about deacons this morning, and I just want you to listen to this as I speak about it. First, deacons are people or men chosen to serve. The word deacon comes from the verb to serve. Ultimately, that is the role of the deacon. Now listen to me very carefully. 
the deacon is not an administrative body. They are not a board of administrators overseeing the affairs of the church. That is not the role of a deacon. And that's not what we see taught in Scripture. They are to be leading out in serving the Lord and God's people. Deacons should be looking for opportunities to serve by leading out in different areas of ministry. When we think in terms of deacons here at Crestwood Baptist Church, my heart and desire as a pastor is every one of our deacons would be tied to a vital ministry in this church and leading out in that ministry through serving God's people. That would be my desire. That would be my hope. You say, now why why is that, Brother Jeff? Because I believe that is a biblical understanding of the role of deacon in God's church. Second, they help the pastor of the church care for God's people. They help the pastor of the church care for God's people. That is clearly seen in this story that we're going to look at this morning. When the ministry of the church outgrew what the apostles could attend to, they had the church select men from among them to help them with the ministry. Now, you want to know whose fault it was in this story? It was the fault of the apostles. The apostles were trying to do everything in the church. But there was only one problem. The church had grown dynamically. Think about it. When the church first begins, it's made up of 120 people. It may be possible for 12 men to minister to those 120 people effectively. But what happens at Pentecost? In one day, the church goes from 120 to what? Over 5,000 people. Man, I, I can't think of any pastor in the world who wouldn't be excited about that. But can you imagine the headache? Can you imagine the challenges that come along experiencing that kind of growth in God's church? It would be astronomical. Twelve men trying to lead 5,120 people? That's what this church experienced. Listen to the very first verse. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Do you see that right there? The church is growing dynamically. I mean, there may have been six, 7,000 members in this church at, first, I mean, at Jerusalem. I almost said First Baptist Jerusalem. I know that's what we all think, right? Everybody knows it was First Baptist Church Jerusalem, don't we? But it was growing dynamically, wasn't it? And that would bring great joy to our hearts if we've seen that kind of growth. But with that growth comes great problems. I want you to listen what it says in the rest of this verse. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose by the he- I mean, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So I want you to get your mind wrapped around this for a moment. On the day of Pentecost, which was the most celebrated feast in all of Jewish history. Matter of fact, most historians said that Jerusalem would swell from a hundred and something thousand people to more than a million people on the day of Pentecost. 
people from all walks of life, not just people from Palestine where the Hebrews lived, but also the Jews that were a part of the diaspora that happened during the Old Testament, they came in as well. Here it says the Hellenist Jews had a problem with the Hebraic Jews. Now you may read that and you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world is Luke talking about in this passage of Scripture? The Hellenist Jews were those Jews who chose not to return back to Jerusalem after the exile in the Old Testament. And what happened was is they took on the Greek culture that was around them and they began to speak Greek rather than Hebrew. The Hebrew Jews were those who lived in the area of Palestine and chose to hold on to all of the culture of the Hebrew people. Now, can you imagine this for a moment? There's one group in this church that is feeling neglected at the expense of the other group because they believe that their widows are being left out of the daily distribution of food. As we look at this, it's easy to see that the problem has arised in this church. This had the potential to cause a major division within the church. This could have called a major obstacle to the work of God's kingdom right here. But did you notice, or you will notice in a moment, how this church perceives this problem? They don't see the problem as an obstacle. They see the problem as an opportunity. You see, this is very important for us as God's church. Every church is going to experience problems at some point in time in their life. And what difference or what makes us different than that of the world is how we choose to handle our problem. Churches are not problem-free because churches are made up of imperfect people. As a matter of fact, it's like one of my old seminary professors used to tell us, boys, when you find the perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. And you know, that's so true, isn't it? And we see that in this passage of Scripture. This had potential to be a great obstacle to the work of the Spirit of God within this body of believers. But rather than seeing the obstacles, they saw the opportunities. You see, it's all about perception. It's all about perception. When problems arise in the church, how do we perceive them? Do we perceive them as obstacles or do we perceive them as opportunities? As my mama would say, you're either a part of the solution or you are a part of the problem. Amen? Now let's just be real honest. There are some people in God's church that are a part of the problem. What they want to do more than anything else is they want to stir the pot. They're the ones that want to maliciously attack people. They're the ones who want to gossip in God's church. I'm convinced there are Southern Baptists who believe that there is a gift of gripe. They believe that God has gifted them in that way. Have you ever heard someone say, now, I know this might not be right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Amen? We've all heard that, haven't we? It's not a matter of if problems are going to come. It's a matter of when problems are going to come. And when problems are going to come, how do we see them? Do we see them as opportunities or do we see them as obstacles? Do we see them as opportunities for the body to exercise our faith in God as well as one another? It was true in this story, wasn't it? 
what happens in this story is the apostles make a suggested solution and all of the members agree with it. They trusted the Lord to provide a solution and they trusted one another to carry it out. They exercised their faith in God and one another. But also, they saw it as an opportunity to express our love or their love for one another. When we seek to solve problems in God's church, hang on here, we should not think of ourselves only, but of others as well. So let me ask you a question. Is that challenging? I mean, let's just be real honest, right? Aren't the vast majority of us me-centered? Isn't that true? I find myself many times reacting in that way. When I'm unhappy about things that are going on within my family or something in my life, I often become inward-focused and I complain. That shouldn't be true in God's story, and that is not what happened in this story. The church chooses six men and one Gentile man to wait on tables. Did you hear that? Now think about that for a moment. Six Jewish men and one Gentile man to wait on tables. What a beautiful picture of Romans, the 12th chapter and the 10th verse, where we are told to love one another with brotherly affection. They express their love for one another. Let me just share something right here, because I think sometimes we misunderstand love. Love is a choice. Listen to me, not a feeling. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people sit in my office and say this to me. I just don't feel like I love that person anymore, and I want to scream, what does that have to do with it? Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice and commitment. This church chose to love one another. They chose to see their problem as an opportunity for the church to grow and the ministry to be expanded for the feathering of God's kingdom. What a novel idea when we think about the fact that we should see problems in God's church in the same way, not as obstacles that would bind us or hold us back from being all that God desires us to be, but as opportunities to further God's kingdom among God's people and among the lost of our community. This is so powerful. I'm amazed by this story. Now, I want us to go back to this text, and I want you to listen to what else he says in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Don't misunderstand what they're saying here. The apostles are not saying serving tables is a menial task. They're just saying that's not the priority of God's church. Every ministry in God's church is important, but there are some ministries that have priority over other ministries. The ministry of preaching and teaching God's word and the ministry of prayer always has a priority over any other ministry in God's church. They are central in God's church is what the apostles are saying. Now listen to what else he says here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you 
seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I want us to stop right here because I believe this verse is so key in us choosing right men to serve in roles of leadership in God's church. Did you hear what the apostles told the believers in this church? They gave them three characteristics of a godly man who needs to serve in a role of leadership in the church. First, they said you need to choose men of good repute. Now, I know we don't use that word repute, but it simply means good reputation. We need to look for men whose lives are characterized by a good reputation. Now, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture what they didn't do. They didn't look at some men over here and say, well, you know what? Oh, Joe there, he has some potential. And maybe one day he'll be all that God desires him to be, and he'll meet the qualifications that God has laid out in Scripture for a man in leadership. And what we're going to do is we're going to select him with hopes of the future. Well, let's just be real honest. Isn't that what churches have done? We love to do that. We love to make selecting deacons about a popularity contest, don't we? Yes. But we need to be looking for men who display in their life good reputation, men of character, men where it is already seen. One of the grave mistakes that churches make is to elect a man as a deacon with a hoax. One day he will fulfill the biblical qualifications of a deacon. They should already be seen in their lives. Second, the apostle said you need to find men full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean there? That word full means to be controlled by. It means men who are living under the control of the Holy Spirit. That means men who their choices, habits, appetites, business, social life, even their marriages and families are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In their daily living, they are displaying the character of Christ, is what he's saying. Now, we do know what the character of Christ is, don't we? Joy, peace, love, faithful, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, perseverance. Does that list seem familiar? That is the fruit of the Spirit. As we look for men to lead us, we need to look for men who are displaying the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. The last qualification or characteristics they gave, we need to find men full of wisdom. That means men who know how to deal with the challenges of life and the challenges of God's church from a biblical perspective. This is a reason I believe it is so important to choose men who are actively involved in the ministry and the life of the church. How can a man deal with the challenges of God's church from a biblical perspective if he is not actively involved in ministry and life of the church? Do you see what I'm saying? That is so important. Now let's go back to this passage of Scripture as we close, and I want you to listen to verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perminius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. That was the Gentile. 
These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient, obedient to the faith. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did you see the result of their choice in those verses of Scripture? It was there. First, the church was unified. Think about that for a moment. Listen to this. The whole gathering was pleased. The key word there is the word whole. I mean, think about it. For over 5,000 people in agreement about the decision that was made, the solution that was made in this story. Isn't that unbelievable? When we think about that, this church was unified as a result of the decision. This church was multiplied. The number of disciples multiplied. The church continued to grow spiritually and numerically. Listen to what it says here. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And third, God was magnified. As I close this morning, I want to share this. I'd be willing to say if we took a survey of evangelical churches throughout America today and we were to ask the question, do you truly want to be blessed by God as a church? I would say that the vast majority of those churches would answer with a resounding, yes, we desire to be blessed by God in this church. Can I share something with you this morning? When God's church chooses to walk outside the boundaries that God has given us in his word, it is utterly impossible for God to bless his church. So often when I do marriage counseling and people come to my office and I talk with them, I tell them, you are asking me to stand before a group of people and pronounce God's blessings upon you as a couple. I can't pronounce God's blessings on you as a couple if you are choosing to walk outside the boundaries of God's desire for a couple. You must first choose and decide that you are going to be a couple that will honor and glorify the Lord if God is going to bless this marriage. And the same is true in God's church. It is utterly impossible for God to bless Crestwood Baptist Church and for us to walk outside the parameters of God's word and choose to go our own direction. We must hold to the principles, the truths, and the commands of God's word if God is going to bless his church. There is no other way. That is the truth of the matter. And the same is true for our individual lives. This is how this message applies to our life. Every one of us this morning wants to be blessed of God, but the only way we can be blessed of God is by walking within the parameters that he has set. That's the only way it can happen in our lives. Is by choosing to walk in holiness and obedience before the Lord. I know that's not a popular message in our world today, but it's the truth of the matter. It's the truth of the matter. 
God does expect of his people for us to walk in obedience before them. That's the truth of the matter. Not out of obligation, but out of love. Out of love. The real question we must ask ourselves this morning is, are we willing to follow God's leadership for our life and God's leadership for his church? That's the question we must ask. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the way you have spoken to our hearts and our lives today. Father, I am so grateful for your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. As we enter into this time of invitation, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives, that you would place your finger on those places in our lives that need to be changed in order for us to walk before you in obedience and holiness. Lord, you have your way now in this invitation. You do whatever is necessary to Open our hearts to you for us to be the people that you would desire for us to be. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet.